Welcome back to the next edition of Conversations with the Code 9 Foundation. Um, Mark here, your host. And today, um, this evening, I'm speaking to Vanessa Mashford. Um, welcome, Ness. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, look, we're going to have a conversation today for listeners' information. Um, Vanessa lives with uh, dwarfism, and it's something that um, I know precisely, well, not precisely zero, very, very little about, and I think the wider community doesn't know much about either. So Ness has been very kind enough to give us some of her time and, and have a chat about what, what it's like. Um, Ness, what's it like? What's it like? Well, I can say something that I've grown up with all my life. It's something that you become, you know, obviously, but yeah, know nothing else but being used to it. Yep. However, it's not something that you're not aware of because you look around and you obviously see that you are different from everybody else. So um, to say it's the norm would be a lie, but to say you're not used to it is also not true. So it's your normal? It is my normal. Yeah. It, it is. Um, again, again, I've known nothing else. But I think um, it's something that, again, it's never going to be something that's the norm that I expect everyone else to be aware yeah. of, I guess. So when did you first become aware? Can you think back to when you, you first realised that you were different? The different? Um, probably really young age. We're talking probably, I guess, kindergarten, because that's when you first become that social being with other kids. Yeah. Even at that stage, were probably you know like half a meter taller than me at least. At that stage, um, again, I was always the smallest one. Um, it's something that my parents, growing up, would um, just tell me, and sort of not in a in a way that made me familiar with it. So they would, even at a very young age, would often say, you know, you you're you're not going to grow to the same size as us. You're probably going to be about this height. And so it's something, I guess, you just sort of, there's no one point where you look around and go, hey, I'm different from everyone else because yep. it is something that's just you're so familiar with from such a young age. Now, I understand, I know your brother um, and your parents, like everyone else is, um, if I can use the word, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, um, you know, use the word that their um, their heights are normal in the sense that they don't live with dwarfism. Yes, that's so, true. I'm the only. I've got two older brothers um, who are they're a bit older than me, and yes, I'm I'm the only one within my family with dwarfism. So, did it cause you to research? How come you? Um, I think growing up, I was always going to genetic specialists so I was made quite aware that you know what the um the chances of it becoming it's one in for me I have a contraplasia which is the most common type of dwarfism it's one in 25,000 I think but at the same time growing up I didn't have the you know the internet wasn't an available yeah, source quite yeah. as it is it now so that information wasn't as readily available um, as it is now but it's again it's something that I always had specialists and like other people telling me what was going on 
So I guess you would have been through constantly through specialist doors and hospital doors and things like constantly. that. Constantly, yes, growing up very much so, very much as in childhood and into adolescence. So you get to school, you go through kindergarten, you get to school. What, what was that like? Like, I mean, I, I look at you and um, I, I just, I just think you're instantly resilient um, because you are. I mean, we know each other from work, um, and you, you get out there and you do your work, and so you're doing your shopping and things like that. So I just think you're instantly very resilient to. Um, what you live with so did that develop early on in school were you bullied were you teased were people I I was never to be completely honest I was never bullied in a way that made me fearful or even you know super sad or like you know made that made me feel victimized I mean the fact of it is I am different so there was always going to be people saying things um some most of the time not too hurtful most of the time just putting it out there which again it was it sort of became quite easy to ignore or you know the the power I guess um against it but again um I think I was just really lucky in the schools I went to and the areas that I grew up in um that it never had that sort of deep set impact where I felt like I had to get away from everyone or not go out into the world um, because I didn't want to be seen yeah. because I did always feel a sense of, um, I was, again, lucky to feel that sense of belonging growing up and I always had friends and I never really had that feeling of loneliness. Yeah. Good result. Real good it, result. It turned out all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, look, that, that's a credit to... Um, obviously the people around you in the schools that you went to that, um, you know, established that, I suppose it's a culture where, um, you know, people behaved in in an appropriate way around you. Yeah. uh, Again, I was pretty lucky. I always had people, I guess, in my, on my side. And so the rest of it just didn't seem that bad because I always had people yeah, and helping so, me and my family and everything else. So on the flip side of the coin, how about people just inquisitive? Oh, constantly. constantly. Um, and, and still happening? Well, oh, all the time. I'm doing it now, so. <laughs> constantly, constantly. Um, I never get too bothered about that. Um, it's It becomes repetitive and it becomes... Um, yeah, it's, I get a lot of questions, obviously, going out and being around and people thinking that they are allowed to ask that for their own, in that moment, their educational yeah. purposes and that yeah. somehow that overrides just my general, you know, ability to walk around and be left alone. Yeah. Um, and some, sometimes it does take that sort of thing of saying, well, you know, actually... That's an inappropriate question at this stage. Yeah. Um, and they tend to back off after that. Um, one thing we, we spoke about when we, uh, a couple of weeks back, um, when I asked you to do this was, you know, the, the pressure um, or perceived pressure for you to be a spokesperson 
for people that live with dwarfism? Have you, have you got much of that over, mm-hmm. over the journey? I think it's, there hasn't been for me any direct pressure um, from anything. Again, I'm one of many people yeah. um, with dwarfism. I think there is the um, sort of the generalised expectation that I am going to be part of those groups and sort of, I guess, grouped together as part of that to then in turn become a representative of, as you said, a face of, of someone of a disability. It's, um, it's never been something I've been not particularly interested in, but never really felt the need to be part of yeah. um, those groups. And I think they're fantastic that they exist and they provide a lot of support for people. But I think when it comes to the individual, it's, um, you know, some people will take up those um, opportunities and then there's others like myself who just within my own life and self it's just not something I've found necessary to do. So your Ness is happy being Ness? I'm happy being Ness yes. It's awesome. Um, so I think you said before was it one in 25,000? Yes. So is that your type? Um, is there different types of autism? Yes, there's um, several, several types. Again, as I said, mine's the most common um, type, um, being achondroplasia. There's, um, there's, again, several types. There's ones yeah. where it's more proportionate. There's ones where um, it's more in, like, improportionate, um, where it's larger chest, shorter legs, yeah. um, hydrochondroplasia. There's a huge range beyond my knowledge even of um, yeah and i guess again that comes back to um you know the education of of people like me um not really knowing just how many different types Mm. um now the naming conventions and stigma um and being someone who is living and will live for the rest of my life a mental health journey, um, coming from a, um, you know, facing a fair bit of adversity in that. I I don't feel stigma personally because I'm very safe in who I am. I'm very comfortable with who I am. I know I'm different, but I really amp up when I see other people being stigmatised and it really hurts them. So stigma within within your community and from externally does it does it happen internally um, that um you know like one yeah you know, i'll talk about my my community the mental health community people who suffer um yeah you know, even some of us we, we will well, i don't but i've been told to get over it just think happy thoughts that old chestnut and it's like well you should know better than so, to say things like that does that happen within um, yours? I can't. I can't say because essentially, as I said, I'm. I'm never have been really part of that community. Yep. I can only speak from my own experience. Yep. Um, from what I've seen, there's definitely a there's stigma, and there's definitely a what they call the different world, where you know you become part of a world where people are the same as you, but then 
you often become separated from the rest of the world. Yeah. And I think that's where the risk sometimes exists, where you actually end up separating yourself from the wider community yeah. because yeah. you're in a more comfortable space where, you know, you're surrounded by people who are the same as you. So nearly a deliberate segreg- segregation. Exactly. Again, it's, I don't want to speak too much on that because, yeah, because I don't yeah, want to at all judge anyone that. for being part of it or saying that they shouldn't, um, it shouldn't exist because, again, it's to each their own and everyone needs different levels of support in their life yeah. and they need to, again, feel that sense of belonging wherever it may be, yeah. whether it be part of a group or their family or the community, the wider community. Um but again, it's something that's just not for me. And I can I can definitely see both sides of it. That it would be beneficial for some people to to be surrounded by exactly who you are. Um, but also I can also see the benefits of not doing that. So again, as you said, personal choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, stigma outside like external people, how, how do you handle it? How do I handle it? Uh, so, again, I'm in my mid-30s now. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, being, I guess we'll call it middle age. Um, we'll say that it's probably taken this long and it's reached a point where I'm pretty comfortable in myself. I think, yeah. again, that comes with getting older that you do um, you get to a point where you do make peace with things. Um yeah. Teenage years and even in 20s, it's not always an easy thing to deal with because you are dealing with people, um, you know, treating you as not not necessarily discriminatory, but you always are going to be that different from everyone else. And it's um, something that, again, you become used to, but it's not something you ever kind of forget about or um, become unaware of. Yeah, understand. Uh, Advice. If someone, say a 15-year-old girl came up to you who lived with dwarfism Mm -hmm. and asked you for advice, what would you say? Oh, that's really good question um I don't want to say that it does get better kind of thing uh, it's a bit of a stereotype I think um but I think it's it, in terms of advice as I said it's about finding that where you fit um in the world and not necessarily thinking that you have to segregate yourself as was saying or or again, if you do feel like you don't fit in um, with everyone else, not thinking that you're going to have to always be part of it and just battle on and keep dealing with it. It's just about feeling like that, finding that sense of where you actually belong and the most comfortable in your space and in your world. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I think every person whoever they are feels that it's like finding finding your people whether um like when you first get to school you'll bounce around through different friendship groups and things like that until you find your people so 
essentially, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, it obviously a little bit more enhanced for yourself and for this, um, the fictional 15-year-old girl just talking about then, but it's about finding the people that are right for you. It is. It's about finding where you, you're not always going to be comfortable in your space, obviously, and you're always going to be battling those things that are unavoidable. Um, But it is not everything is the constant struggle. It's, and it's about finding those, again, those connections and finding where you can keep going in your life and Still, I guess, for if you were to refer it back to that 15-year-old of still having the same, finding where you can find those opportunities to grow up and, you know, have that job and do the, achieve those things that you are wanting to do at that young age and actually being able to go on and having those opportunities when you're old enough to do it. Yeah. The world overall, and again, I'll, just for an example, I'm saying now, yes, there's a massive mental health stigma. We know that but it's lowering. There's a lot more people getting out there. I think with the younger generation coming through that have been exposed to a lot more mental health education, seeing high-profile people, particularly in sports, I follow a lot of sports, so they'll say they're stepping away from the game to look after their own mental health. So I can see the stigma lowering and the world's becoming better with mental health. Yes, got a long way to go, but we're getting better. Um, For a overall sense, how, how do you you feel that the, the world as such is handling and relating to people who live with dwarf, dwarfism as opposed to 20 years ago? I think there's been a major um, positive increase and it's been within a very short time frame. I'm talking probably realistically like the past 15 years or something. Um, yeah. And it's about, again, um, particularly... Before that time, dwarfism was never represented very well in media. It was there, but it was without a voice. It's um, actors purely being the tools for other, like, again, regular-sized people and being the sidekicks or being the fools. Um, It's only within this more recent time where you have actors like Peter Dinklage, for example, who are, you don't know, know, the one from Game of Thrones, who are in roles now, recently roles, where he is purely an actor and speaking those parts. And it's almost really recently where, you know, his dwarfism isn't even mentioned. It's just that he's purely the actor. And there may be like a slight joke or something in there, but he's taken full seriously, um, fully seriously as an actor. And I think just by having that sort of presence, it's just that presence of being there and not being and having a voice, I guess, what is what it comes down to that really makes the difference. That again, that's where social media um, becomes. It can be a negative, obviously, but it's where the, it is a positive because people do have their own voices and they're not represented represented just by um, that sort of one cylinder like media. And that's, it's interesting with, with, I know the acting in Maine, and it's, I was trying to think of an example, something nearly came into my head where it used to be, you know, he'd been introduced, and I'm not talking about him specifically, but just an example where introduced him and nearly after that, dwarf actor or something like that. Yes. Like there's always that secondary thing 
that it's like, well, no, he's an actor. And so now he's been genuinely referred to as an actor. Yes. So what do you know what caused this this really rapid change? I mean, fifteen years to change um, something is is quick, is real quick. It is. It is. It's a very recent change, said, and it is a quick change. I think um, I can't probably identify not the best person to identify where at that point and whether it did come to someone like him who just you know, became that voice again um, out of nowhere or if it was just, again, maybe our general attitudes across the board, across, as I said, stigma, across mental health, across sexuality, um, we sort of got to a point where, um, you know, I don't want to say the whole world because we're not there yet, obviously, no. um, but in general, in areas that we do, people are speaking up and represented represented and seen and heard um, much more than they were, again, even a short time of like 20 years ago. Yeah. And that's, I think you, you, you touched on it there, and that's that's community-wide, like the expectations that um, whether you're um, heterosexual, bisexual, gay, lesbian, disabled, it doesn't matter. You're still a person and everyone gets treated equally. Mm. That's... You know, I think that the acceleration we've seen in that, particularly in the last, you know, last few years. I mean, it's been changing for a long time, but I think it's got to a point now where it's just it's mushroomed so much and gained so much momentum that um, the the mistreatment of anyone other than someone who you know used to be deemed normal um, is unacceptable. I agree. I think it's just, and it is, I mean, it's, as you said, it's fantastic that it's mushroom has said so quickly, but it is surprising again, and I'm not just speaking for disability and we're talking about um, gay marriage and everything else like that, that it has, it's only so recently that these changes have actually occurred. And you're talking about, you know, again, 15 years ago, these things just not being, Thing and still having that stigma attached. Hopefully, it continues on this rapid rate. That would I would like to see what comes next. I'm looking forward to it. But we'll Take see. Acting, yeah. yes, <laughs> Hollywood actors. <laughs> um, I don't know what else. I, I, that's what I was saying at the start there. I, I think. I mean, to me, it's it's fascinating. I, I think, yeah, um, you know, you've got a ton of courage. I, I suppose you wouldn't see it yourself as being courageous, would you? I don't. Um, again, because when you're in yourself, you haven't really got much to compare it with. You go out and do the best you can do. Um, for me, it's, I think, I still, every day, I have a... I, I've given myself the decision to say either like I can again stay at home and not be part of the world or I can choose to go out and go to my job and continue on life and that's the space I've I've chosen to live in and it's it's not always easy and it's um it can be a struggle both again emotionally and especially physically 
um, in it, but it's that's the choice I've made, so it's the choice I live with. And look, that is just such an incredibly positive, just a fantastic attitude because, you know, as you said, you could quite easily take the victim attitude, why me, and lock yourself out from the world, but, you know, you've taken the other path to do that. Um, when you have bad days, is it the friendship groups you've made over the journey help you bounce back as well as the lessons you've learned within yourself? I think definitely my, um, I, to sort of, I often self-reflect, I guess, and think like I am incredibly grateful because I, I have such a great group of friends um, and it's something I've grown up with. Again, I was just speaking before, um, you know, my friends from my kindergarten are still my friends now. And <laughs> that's been a wonderful thing. Um, I think also I've been... I think I always sort of say, like, with the cards I was dealt, I've actually been incredibly lucky with what I've ended up with. Yeah. Um, I've been incredibly lucky being part of my family um, who are very easygoing um, people who I've never actually ever felt, like, alone being part of within that family. Yeah. So that's something I'm constantly grateful for. So real strong family, real strong friendship groups, real strong attitude, positive. Not always, but it's not um, always, but I mean, I mean, no one. Well, I don't think anyone can be positive one hundred percent of the time. But it's it's when you have those bad days that you don't just um, lock the door and tell the world to get stuffed, and you actually start working on yourself and working um, the self reflection, as you said, and work out where things are going a little bit pear-shaped if you're having a bad day and then correct them? I think that's always been my thing, as I said. I think everyone has things that they deal with. Um, you sort of get dealt, as I said, a certain amount. And I think although mine's more probably obvious and prominent than sometimes other people's, I think everyone has things across their life that probably evens out, like balances out. Um, mm -hmm. But it is me, my choice is, you know, what you actually do with it, what you have, because ultimately if you choose to be down or choose to be bitter about it, you're the one who's going to be living the unhappy life no one else is. Like, yeah. So it's something, again, and I'm not saying that to be inspirational or anything like that, it's just something I was able to teach myself um, probably as I said, probably only going into my 30s, really. But it's a sort of attitude that I decided to take on that I have no other choice in this. This is what I have. So I may as well make the most of what I have. Which is you know, a fantastic way to live. You've sort of said a couple of times when you got into your early 30s, was, was it that is that indicative that you sort of mid to late 20s was a bit turmoil or just you were growing up? Um, I think it was a lot of factors. It was still growing up. Um, I think, again, I, as funny as it is to say, I felt like I only really got a proper career in my 30s. Yeah. And it was 20s, you know, I finished uni and 
I had quite a struggle finding like an ongoing job and it wasn't anything of anyone being outwardly discriminatory or anything. It was just difficult to find that job that I was going to be doing and something I could call my career. Having found that, um, again, in my sort of late 20s, going into early 30s, that was incredibly grounding for me. And it's something that was, again, reassuring. And that's where I think I really was able to find that comfort and stability. Stability. Yeah, there's a key. Yeah. Well, and, and doing something you obviously love doing. And, I mean, work has such a massive impact on your own mental health. So when you find the job that you love. I think having a job that you love, although it's, you know, I'm, again, I'm very lucky to have a job and I still consider that now, and especially in the current conditions where people don't have jobs. And, again, I'm very grateful that I have a stable job that I wasn't at risk of um, losing, you know, again, with COVID and what it's brought on with everything. So I'm always, again, grateful for that as well. So where's Ness in 20 years? Oh, who knows? Um, <laughs> I think, so Ness at the moment um, is, again, happy in the space. Yeah. Ness going on, I think I try my best in keeping myself going. Um, again, it's, I know as I go on and as I get older, it's, my back and my the physical parts of me will start becoming more difficult and it will become more difficult for me to move around. I hope it doesn't, um, but it's a little bit inevitable, I think, to a certain degree. So I try and sort of future plan, I guess, to a certain extent, but also just enjoy what I can while I can and why I can get around and am quite mobile. Yeah. So having an awareness, how much do you think is that helping you at the moment and down the track that your body is going to break down probably, well, not probably, differently than what um, mine will break down mm-hmm. as I get older? Um, it's something, again, it's something you, you prepare, you both prepare yourself for, but something you try not to think about too much because you don't want to dismiss what you've got going now in order to dread the future. Um, I don't know what is coming, obviously. I think I'm going pretty well at this stage. I haven't deteriorated. With myths or misunderstandings, misconceptions, something like that, that that type of word, is is there many? There's a few. So I guess a prominent one definitely is people... Um, the understanding that I have would have a shorter lifespan, which I don't. Yeah. Um, it's again, it that still comes under the condition that you know of dwarfism that has it, which applies. But um, no, it's for me. I uh, my mum used to always reassure me, and she's um, she told me once that that was the first question that she asked. Um, you know, the doctor when she found out that she was having me that. Like, what was my lifespan going to be? And they said normal, yeah. um, or, you know, a normal life expectancy for a female in Australia. Yeah. Um, I guess you know, on a more personal sort of emotional level, 
I think the myth is that thinking, like having the understanding or the idea that I have a different understanding or I'm not going to perceive things in the same way as everybody else. And, in, and as if I don't understand what's going on with others around me and that things not necessarily have to be dumbed down but just explained in a different way or that I'm just not going to fully have that awareness of what's going on. I want to pick that. <laughs> it's something it's, um, again, as we were saying, going on, it's become less of an issue as I get older, but it's something having think people explain, thinking they have to explain things to me in a different way as if I don't understand what's, you know, again, what's, as if someone else would. What's going on, yeah. Yeah. Human beings, eh? Yeah. We're a strange bunch. Um, all right, before we wind up, um, is, is there anything else you'd like to touch on if there's something that can educate me more, can educate the, the wider community more? Like anything? I think um, if I was to give one message, yeah. and again, I'm only speaking for myself, anyone who has something that makes them different from the absolute norm, which probably doesn't exist anyway, but for me, the important thing is um, the importance of um, inclusion. Um, it's not pretending that something doesn't exist and it's not putting a spotlight necessarily on something all the time, but it's dealing with things and still making people feel like they're part of a, a community no matter what um, differences they have and feeling like they belong. And it's something that I try and do within my work um, and within my team and, um, again, with my people around me and it's something I strive for so that would be the thing and more so than you know I don't think I deserve any more respect than any anyone else I don't think I deserve any you know allowances or acceptances but it's just purely that except um that inclusion in the world just be treated normally pretty much and I like what you said there like what is normal now like who, who's actually normal? I think, and from what I see, you know, I go around and there are people who scream, like virtually what they're wearing, what they're doing, they scream to be looked at and heard. So I don't think in terms of being normal, it's, it's a changing perspective as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, thanks heaps, Ness. I, I uh, as I said at the start, I, I, Actually, I remember when I first saw you, it was at, um, at a different building than we're in now. And um, I, the first thing I thought, to be honest, was cool. I thought it was <laughs> awesome. That attitude I get a lot, which I, I don't mind at all. Yeah. It's like better than it's, the cool, cool. You know, like. and, and, and I'm not I'm not pretending to think I've got any understanding of what life is like for you, but I kind of think it'd be so easy to do what we are talking about before and locking yourself away and you know, just letting your life go by without actually ever doing anything. Um, you know, to see you roll up at work was like, that's awesome. Love it. And then, I mean, and we've worked 
in different areas, but we've worked together over the years a couple of times through various stuff, and um, you know, always always a pleasure to deal with. Um, always very easy. Um, you don't get any sense of hint of being a victim out of it, which you know, we spoke earlier on how positive you are about it, and um, I think you, you um, I think you're courageous. I know you, what we said. You don't you don't feel that. I, I, I think you're putting yourself out there without actually doing it, um, breaking down a lot of stigmas, showing people that live with a disability that you know you, you can you can live. Uh, and I think that's just such an, an enormously powerful message. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that haven't got a voice. And you just being you um, is giving those people a voice without, you know, you're not, and, and I'll back up, I'm not being disrespectful to the community groups and things like that. But like, even though you're not part of that by going to Coles and getting doing your shopping and, just living a normal life you know you're showing so many people that you can do that and I reckon that's just tremendously awesome oh thank you thank you for having me here and I admire this platform as well and I think as I said um you know having a voice for everyone is an amazing thing so I appreciate your time as well pleasure we'll um we'll speak thanks Ness thank you thanks Ness and